This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everybody. This is Z Prime On the Grid. I am Dylan Lockwood. Joining me is co host Joyce Dooley. Joyce, how are you doing? Hey, hey, Dylan. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'll do my best not to put that weird drawl at the end of your name next time. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we're here today to talk about T&D substations. And here to help us are some folks from Distran. We have Brad Fontenot, the president. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dylan. Great to be here. We also have John Hall, director of business development. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for having us. So, you know, you guys work in substation construction. Brad, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what you do and what some of the biggest changes have been in the way you do business? Distran packaged substations, we've been around uh, the utility industry for uh, 55 years. Uh, we specialize in design and engineering and project management of substation projects uh, coast to coast. We've, uh, we've been a part of almost 6,000, approaching 6,000 substation projects uh, since the company was founded. Um, so we get to work a lot across across a lot of different market segments in the TND space. Um, you know, building and designing substations for uh, utilities, big and small, for industrial customers. So a lot is changing in the utility space as a whole. Um, and so, over a hundred years, the utility industry was um, you know providing safe and reliable and affordable power to to customers and over the last several years, there have been major changes in the industry from distributed resources to um, solar and wind coming on the grid. You know, from, from investor-owned utilities, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, some large capital investments. Uh, we've seen some large programs of work um, that, that have taken place for just grid moder- modernization in general. And so um, we, we've worked, you know, a lot in the Northeast on some really old systems and, and doing some significant upgrades to some storm hardening projects and programs um, that are along the Gulf Coast um, due to some hurricane uh, stuff. Um, working out west um, in, you know, some of the fire regions out there and the new implementation of um, distributed generation and, and when renewable energy coming online, um, oil and gas projects, um, you know, that have gone, you know, uh, throughout the country. Um, and then, you know, we have the retirement of, of generation sources like uh, coal um, that are, you know, taking off of the grid um, as we've added on new resources. So, you know, our, our uh, opportunity and, and challenges have come from uh, far and wide and, and uh, shallow and deep, but it's, it's been, a, been a very interesting uh, run here lately. Yeah, if you look back at the last you know 10 or 15 years, being able to watch the progression of renewables coming onto the grid and how that's impacted uh, TND projects has, has been really interesting. Yeah, and so we've seen some really large transmission projects that are you know under different you know regulatory approvals in in different states. You know, trying to move uh, renewable energy from you know generation areas of uh, you know, call it New Mexico or Texas or the Midwest that are trying to really move uh, that generation source into populated areas, you know, Southern California, you know, large cities across the Midwest, um, as there is, uh, you know, a, a definite push for renewable energy. 
um, through, throughout a lot of different investor-owned utilities these days. Excellent. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you guys um, because, you know, the, the physical side of growth on the grid and like how you really adopt these things is definitely a, a crucial component to seeing overall success. Um, in addition to like the industry shifting forward with renewables and incorporating, you know, new technologies and stuff, um, how have your clients' demands changed? over time. Yeah, so so clients are, are faced with a convergence of multiple changes all at once in the industry. And so you've got, you know, onboarding of renewables, you've got um, distributed energy in locations where where it wasn't in the past, as well as a, a significantly aging infrastructure that needs upgrades just to maintain the, the same base level of, of reliability that that mm. utilities are accustomed to providing and broader construction industry challenges like, you know, lack of workforce and skilled labor and specialty craft that's needed, that's trained and ready to keep up with the number of projects and the amount of work that needs to be done on the grid. And, and all this with a consumer that is demanding better connectivity and better reliability than ever before. I mean, when, when you have a phone in your pocket that has access to the entire world, um, you don't you don't want your power to be out for days, uh, much or for minutes, much less days. Um, so it, it is really a, a daunting task what's ahead of, of utilities um, at this day and age. And so our clients are looking for new ways uh, and, and creative ways to meet those demanding schedules. We get, we get asked often by utility customers, what are you seeing in, from an industrial and commercial clients? Um, what, are, what are folks doing outside of just the utility space to innovate, to improve, um, to be able to keep up with, with the pace of change. And so I think you know, what we've seen with utility customers, they've really embraced um, this challenge and they really, they wanna be a part of innovation. They want to be a part of taking the electric utility industry to its, its next evolution, but, but they're really working through how to do that. It, it's not a simple uh, process. It's not, it's not as simple as even it seems on the surface. There, there are layers and layers of complexity, um, both in, from an engineering standpoint and from a regulatory standpoint to make the, the significant changes to the grid um, to meet that, those converging demands. And so they're looking for new ways to meet the challenge. You know, I'd say also renewable projects are very cost-driven. Um, so the workload's up, the workforce is down, the costs are, are being driven down, and the pace is uh, significantly increased. So utilities are looking for support in, in how to meet these challenges and how else can we do this better? What's something we didn't think about? Uh, really pushing the envelope on, on this is how we've always done it before. It goes a long way to, to do things the same way for a long time in terms of reliability and consistency and driving out cost. But, but sometimes, um, you know, a new challenge calls for a new and innovative way to do things. And that's what uh, utilities are building and seeking and asking from uh, service providers like us. You know, Brad, I'll, I'll piggyback. I think uh, another, you know, the demands that, you know, we've seen, are you know getting getting projects built a lot faster um you know a lot of these investor-owned utilities are having to answer to shareholders and there's there's a lot of investment that go on and you know the shareholders they want to return on their investment as well and so uh you know there's there's the ever-ending task of you know we got to get these assets online and get some returns on there um you know meet the demands of emerging technologies and and the different innovations that go into construction practices and you know local permitting and government so there's a lot of challenges, a lot of demands, um, you know, that are headwinds that we face, you know, with our customers uh, on on current projects now. 
So another piece of that, I think it's, it, you know, utilities have always been concerned with standard management and asset management. Those are, you know, age old um, responsibilities of electric utilities, but they're asking the question, how do you, how do you do that better and maintain the pace with emerging technology? So with 3d models, with digital twins, with uh, analytics and big data, with more instrumentation at their fingertips than they've ever had, um, it, it raises a lot of questions and, and like John said, challenges and opportunities on how to, how to both operate the grid and how to build and rebuild uh, critical pieces of the grid. Uh, so uh, when we're focusing you know, specifically on your work um, in, in, in substations and just on the, on the transmission and distribution side, um, what is being asked of you in terms of uh, modernization? Because you, you, know, you work largely um, on the physical assets themselves. What does modernization in your world look like? So yeah, everything these days is going digital, but you know, what we like to say is you can bury wires, but they aren't going away. You can't, uh, we can't go wireless on the grid. And so the steel and the wire infrastructure that has to support um, these increasing demands, it's also a day and time where connectedness is more important than ever. And so the network effects of a good grid and having assets in the right locations with the right um, pathways along the grid, it's more important than it's ever been. And so I think what, what, what modernizing that physical infrastructure looks like um, in where we see real value is in modular design for faster deployment and upgrades. So it really plays into, you know, a utility having really strong standards control and really well-defined standards that are repeatable that can be, um, you know, manufactured and constructed really consistently in a design that looks to the future. And so we have a, one really good example that, you know, I think John would, would probably be the best to speak to it. But if we build a greenfield station, it's a, it's a T1 for the first um, transformer and it's got a modular design. And if they want to expand, we drop in the T2 section and, and so on. And, and it really allows uh, for us to, you know, pre-build a lot of the assets, know uh, exactly what the customer needs. And, and but still have flexibility and customization as they need it. Brad, the project you guys were talking about was uh, you know a particular utility that we've been working with for you know for quite a while, um, and they're you know consistently trying to meet the demands of uh, of the oil field, um, you know, and their clients um, as they do you know different explorations and different needs for powers. And so the priority list of, of certain projects may move, um, you know, based on the findings of of, uh, you know, drilling for oil and doing different things um, in West Texas. And so, you know, this particular client may tell us, you know, hey, hey, we, we need to build this project, you know, in this quarter or this month of the year um, based on current demands. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, things shift, things move, but being heavily standardized, knowing exactly what they want to do on every single project, you know, we would able to take the same project and drop it in different places um, throughout their grid because, you know, everything has been so standard and so modern uh, that they just consistently repeat over and over and over. Dylan, the other thing that, that comes to mind, you know, one of our one of our major product lines that we've developed over the, you know, iteratively over the last 15 or 20 years uh, that's really come into life over the last five to 10 is factory built infrastructure, factory built substations. So, you know, with, with a high level of standardization, we can plan ahead, we can design ahead in 3D, leveraging, you know, 3D technology, and we can build large portions of grid infrastructure, large sections of substation in our factory ahead of time. And so, 
you know, having a plan of, of what you need, but then being able to shift, you know, left or right, depending on uh, if, if, if demand changes, we can pre-build modules or distribution structures, have them in a laydown yard ready for deployment. And, you know, that's a big part of what the project John was talking about, but also I think of another utility customer. We were building uh, um, a low side distribution structure um, for a planned project. And we, they had a fire in one of their substations. They lost the asset. It would have, you know, they would have had to bring in a mobile unit or reroute power or take, you know, a significant outage to manage that, that incident. But we were able to quickly uh, deploy a pre-built standardized uh, substation structure and get, get the actual long-term solution implemented within a couple of weeks and, and avoid uh, extended problems of that utility. So it just having the, the modular design, um, you know, that flexibility in design for faster deployment and parallel construction uh, can help, can help get physical assets in place a lot quicker. Brad, kind of at the, at the top of this, you know, you were talking about um, how, you know, things are things are going digital but you know there's still all the all the sort of physical physical aspects of it that need to be uh talked about can you, you sort of explain um where where those sorts of rifts are between digital strategy and physical assets like what maybe needs to change in terms of the in terms of thinking and planning going forward yeah, I think a big task that's ahead of the industry, Dylan, is in looking at distributed resources and, you know, changing the location of a lot of generation assets, as well as the, you know, managing the intermittency of a lot of these oncoming assets. Uh, we have a lot of, of data at our fingertips um, to make decisions on, on how to deploy resources, where to install resources. When you look at, you know, new developments like FERC 2222, and you look at non-wire alternatives and just having access to information is one thing, but then communicating it to each other is another. So there, there are challenges, um, I think, that the industry faces and in being able to understand what is the most holistic, um, you know, cost-effective approach across the broader network and not just in a, um, in a local optimum. Um, but also, you know, to get the most out, if you do, you know, if it's a large optimization problem and you find the best solution, um, you're going to have to you're going to have to deploy infrastructure intelligently and smartly to get the best advantage of that. So as information becomes more available on on the grid, the decision making process on where to build the transmission line or what um, qualities to give a substation or what instrumentation to to locate on a substation, um, those decisions become more complex. And it, it you know the better we make them, the the more efficient we can efficiently we can conquer the challenges ahead of the industry and so so while you know digital is great and it gives us access to information a lot quicker and it gives us more options and everything's at your fingertips there's still physical assets that have to be deployed and installed and those things take time the other side of that is i think you know what we're seeing as a um, contractor that works with, with these companies in in this area the evolution of digital technology is enabling improved processes in in grid infrastructure design and development and construction and so having access to 3d modeling um, in really powerful software that can that can pre-design a, a infrastructure asset like a substation down to millimeter accuracy ahead of time um, talking about lidar technology where you can scan a brownfield asset um, bring that into into the the designers 
desk and and mer and merged the uh, the lidar scanned imagery from a brownfield asset with a 3D model of an upgrade uh, can really shorten the outage time required in order to make that upgrade. It can make you can make better decisions in the design process by having access to uh, information from the field that otherwise you would have had to to travel, you know, potentially from uh, Louisiana to to Oregon to get. Uh, so instead of you know, it's really bringing that information to folks' fingertips to make smarter design decisions that can that can allow for parallel construction um, and shorter outages and turnarounds. No, thank you so much for that, Brad and John. I mean, you know, really great topics that you're touching on. Um, I think that that tension that you really kind of highlighted with, you know, the the digital stuff is really pushing the pace of the industry forward, and those additional you know technological tools or assets to help um, with customer engagement with all these things doesn't negate the fact that there's that that real physical work that needs to be done to overall support the grid. Um, and I think that, you know, this is just a really beneficial discussion for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, not everything is mission critical all the time. So I would love it if you and John maybe could talk about like maybe one of the funnier things that have happened to you guys on one of these projects as you kind of looked at like aha moments or, oh my gosh, why didn't we think about that? Or, you know, if you've got something funny to add. Love to hear it. The very first one we ever did, the Marigold Mine out in uh, Reno. Yeah, I thought it. I thought that's what I'm trying to think of one that doesn't involve a impending disaster. There was the <laughs> the TNMP structure that couldn't get out the door because it was too big. Yeah, <laughs> we want to air all our dirty laundry. We've since fixed all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, piggybacking on what Brad was saying with the 3D modeling, um, we uh, we we built one of our early on structures um, that was a, a really large structure. Uh, we were really excited about it. Um, and as we got to, you know, doing the actual construction piece, um, one of our, our factory guys said, hey, man, this thing looks really big and that door looks really small. Um, and so we actually ended up, uh, you know, actually pulling the tape measure and realizing at that point, man, we only had about a foot. So that's six inches on each side to play with going out the door. Uh, so at that point, we, we decided, hey, maybe we need to, uh, you know, get accurate dimensions of our manufacturing facility. Um, and then model up our facility uh, before we start designing and modeling structures so that we make sure we can get them out the factory. So uh, that was uh, that was a few years ago. Um, and I think that we ended up building a, a, a single door uh, now that is about eight feet larger than what we were using before that's allowed us to, uh, to put a lot larger structures out the door. But yeah, we almost built one that was uh, so big we couldn't even get it out the plant. Hey, that that does remind me of another, another story. And, and John, you may be able to tell it better than, than I can. I wasn't here at the time, but, you know, years ago when we first started doing prefabrication and, and modular work, um, we, we were kind of accustomed to getting calls from clients to think outside the box or do something different or meet some unusual challenge. Well, we had a, um, you know, I think it was a government contractor that asked us to put together a substation uh, for the Middle East um, in the early 2000s. That was, that was an emergency need. They needed to deploy it quickly. Um, so we had to design it uh, to be to be delivered to the tarmac at the local airport. We had what thirty days, I think, to yep. uh, get it put together, and it was going to load into an airplane and fly to the Middle East. And so that really kind of started our venture outside of just prefabricated parts and and minor structures. To wow, we can really we can really design the entire station like we would a steel package. Um, and so we did that. I think you know. It took a while to get the design plans down to get exactly you know what they wanted on 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 paper into the model, but 
we, we were able to deliver the materials, assemble everything in under 30 days and, and deliver that to the Middle East. And that was kind of our first big success story with prefabrication. Amazing. Thank you so much. And, you know, amazing work that you guys are doing. Um, so that kind of moving us into some of this other like meaty topics that, you know, we've been touching on, um, you know, do you guys think that we might need to change the way that we envision modernization on the transmission and distribution side of things? We just, we generally just, I know John and I, probably our whole organization struggle with the term modernization. Like what, what specifically about modernization are, are you asking that from? What angle? So, you know, from one of our previous discussions, we were kind of talking about some of the difficulties with like the different terms that are being thrown around and used. Um, particularly like modernization, it seems to be kind of this catch-all thing, right? Like it used to be called like smart grid stuff, and now we've got modernization. Let's let's start. Let, actually, let's let's start at the most granular level. Why do you think it it's difficult for us to agree to agree on what modernizing T and D looks like? Why what 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 are the the disconnects and definitions here? Yeah. So so for me personally, one thing. I think of when I hear modernization is better instrumentation, smarter widgets on the grid that collect, you know, infinitely more data and then present it um, readily at your, at your fingertips. And so as a, as an infrastructure company, you know, we don't design or um, engineer anything on the, the electrical side and instrumentation side. And so um, I guess we really can't devour the law of physics, right? I mean, we still have to have the same amount of air insulation uh, for, you know, physical substations, you know, as a whole, um, you know, and so I, I think that we all agree that, you know, change um, is, is kind of tough for everybody to really agree upon, but, you know, maybe looking at the way that we do some things through a different lens um, is, uh, is, is inevitable. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're already seeing this, uh, this shift in, um, in, in the way that some, some stations are built, um, at the speed they're being built and the purpose they're being built, um, you know, because there's, you know, there's, there's different demands on the grid today. Uh, there's, you know, bigger shifts in generation. Um, you know, there's generation coming online, there's generation going offline. Um, there's different uses of generation now. Um, it was actually on a phone call this morning with a guy and um, they, they've got to be ready. Uh, they've got an Amazon distribution warehouse coming in their service territory um, and they've got to get ready for this thing. And so as you've got, you know, different types of commerce coming into your area, you, you, you've got to be ready to uh, to make that move and make that jump because, you know, you would want to be the last one to say, oh, we we can't have you um, for this distribution center coming in um, because we're not ready for you um, physically. And so, you know, I think that we've got to look at things at a different lens and, and be ready to jump faster than we've ever done before. Yeah, I think that's that's true, John. And I think it's even more true, you know, if you look at the last year and a half where we all suddenly became experts in working remotely, um, you know, people are going to continue to think, well, I don't have to be located at at a center of, of you know, resources, human resources or, or, or knowledge around a certain industry or segment. I can be located anywhere and operate. So when you look at it from a you know, a, a, a industrial and commercial standpoint, um, folks are willing to move uh, where their operations are to different locations. And, and, and a lot of those customers pull significant power off the grid uh, and, and different utilities in different areas are going to have to be ready to meet that demand. The other thing is, uh, you know, you can talk about the, the digital data information side of grid modernization, but I think 
what what the, the, what's happened, and I spoke a little bit about this earlier, but because we're so used to having data and information at our fingertips, re- reliability is it's a big demand. There's a huge demand from consumers, uh, from from you and I, on reliability from these utilities, and so uh, we don't want to lose power at all. And I think what what we know is the physical assets are probably not going to change in our lifetime. As you you know, as as the uh, you know a traditional consumer would ride down the road and see traditional uh, utility infrastructure as a physical asset, um, you know it may look the same, uh, may smell the same, but I think as modernization is is coming to coming to life, you know we're seeing a lot of modernization, you know, kind of behind the curtain in the big gray boxes. Um, and so you know what what may look like an antiquated um, you know. Uh, substation or transmission line. Um, there's a lot of progression uh, that's going in and in, in the way that, you know, these things function and they dispatch power um, that we're reading the data analytics that, that are going to behind it. So there's a lot of modernization that's, you know, called it behind the curtain um, that you may not see as you, as you drive down and, and physically look and touch the, the, the physical asset. Um, but it's, it's definitely uh, in front of us right now. With, with increased demand for reliability and aging infrastructure, you have lots of rural substations that are wood pole structure, uh, minimal instrumentation, you know, not prepared for the increasing number of weather events and fires that, that we're seeing today. And there are hundreds of those, if not thousands of those across the grid, um, you know, that need to be upgraded, need to be uh, replaced with, with more modern, hardened, um, you know, steel assets with better instrumentation that can that can help a utility, you know, better monitor and control their grid. You you, you did sort of answer this a bit uh, there, right there, Brad, but I, I'm actually curious how these um, increasing customer demands are affecting um, some of the ways that you construct, sell, or, or maintain your substation kits. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you talked a bit there just about um, materials and uh you know, and, and monitoring is—is is there anything else that's um, c- kind of you know forced you forced you to to innovate in certain ways? Yeah, I think one way to answer that, you know, Dylan, is pretty straightforward. Where our engineering teams, you know, they have higher wind loading, higher snow loading, higher um, just physical parameters that they can they can design to, um, but uh, and also you know coatings and materials for you know, high salt areas and things like that. That's kind of the obvious answer where I think um, there's a lot of value that that's probably worth touching on is when you standardize and you build everything modularly in the digital world. um, And you can have that digital twin, that digital asset with the, the, the parameters, the dynamics, the engineering, everything that went into designing that asset when you when you have it digitally, if you have an outage or a problem or you need an upgrade or a replacement, it's a much quicker process to, um, you know, take the 3D model. And like I mentioned earlier, you can couple, you know, LIDAR scanning or field data information and very quickly design and manufacture and then, you know, very quickly install an upgrade or replace a, an, a, replace a, a damaged component or, or portion of that that infrastructure. So that's a, a kind of a different way to look at it, but I think I think we we've done several projects like that, and, and it's been a real advantage to have uh, have those structures pre-designed and and ready for quick deployment. All right, guys. Well, I know that you know our time with you is very precious, but I've got one last question for you, which has to kind of do around the standards that are kind of being put in place. And so, do we already have standards that are helping with these transitions, or do you think that we need to maybe look at creating some new ones? 
um, to help drive this forward effectively? Well, you know, I think it oh. could go two. I think it go two ways. I mean, I, and I think that you know, IEEE has done a very good job of of doing standards for the industry um, and keeping uh, you know committees up to date um, and releasing new information. You know, as there's been a lot of uh, case studies and those kind of things built around uh, the, the IEEE standard, which is, you know, what a, a lot of us use um, in the business. Um, and then we have the other standards. We have the actual utility standards themselves, um, which can change at all the various utilities. Um, and as as we've seen it, it, it can even change across the, uh, across the operating companies. And so uh, several of our customers, uh, large utilities, may have uh, multiple operating um, uh, operations across multiple states or regions. Um, and, and what they do in one region um, is, is very important because of an environmental condition, but it may not be done in another region. Um, and so you have to stay on top of those utility standards as well. What's some thought leadership in this space that's like, you know, the advocacy groups or the consortiums or the thought leadership that's pushing, you know, the physical infrastructure side, you know, or helping to bridge the gap between the physical and the digital infrastructure that's needed? Yeah, I think a lot of the the, um, the emerging work that um, I, I see a lot of benefit in is around integrated design and construction and just you know, that's a term that's been talked about for a while in our industry and other industries, but the more you can uh, collaborate on the front end of a project, you know, the better progression you'll have throughout the course of that project. But what, what we're seeing now is an emergence of technology that allows for just a, a vastly greater um, amount of collaboration on the front end of a project and, and, and having information at each resource group's fingertips to have, you know, from to better design, better engineering and better construction altogether. And so I think um, that needs to become a standard in the industry. It needs to be the norm that um, part manufacturers, uh, engineering and design companies, uh, owners and customers work together on the front end of a project to have the best design through construction flow all the way through the end of it. And John, we utility had a large switchyard and really needed rapid deployment. Um, and there was some structures already in place and they were, they were behind on the project. So we're able to go out with a LIDAR scanner, scan the entire yard and prefabricate the entire bus package um, ahead of the project schedule. And so most of the welding, because they were, they were resource restricted in that area, most of the welding was done in the factory. There were minimal field connections that were required on the project. And we were able to stage the shipments, uh, you know, with more precise logistics to, to arrive just in time for the contractor on site to make the bus install. And having those structures uh, fabricated in the field, um, you know, leads to a lot of uncertainties in, in weather. This was, you know, in a, in a climate in the winter where it could be very difficult uh, to get field construction done. Uh, we're able to do those in a controlled environment and uh, with a higher level of quality in the wells, a higher level of safety all around from working on the ground level instead of out of a bucket truck or in the air. And then, you know, take advantage of parallel construction to deliver that project, um, you know, just in time for that that customer. And so it, being able to plan and in, in having 3D information um, from the field and from a, a designer's head all at your fingertips um, really enables a lot more um, in a lot more innovation on, on the construction side and um, collaboration between different um, you know different construction resources. Um, now, before we transition out, do you just have any have any lingering thoughts about um, 
changes you want to changes you want to see in the industry or things that uh, that in your business that you're really excited to talk about? Yeah, a lot of the the, the newest projects that we've seen is um, with the new administration, the renewable uh, tax credits on solar have expanded. Um, so um, you know we're heavily involved in that market um, all around the country, and and what we're hearing from a lot of our folks is the craft labor shortage um, that goes with that. And so um, with the amount of work that's going on in the utility market right now, um, and so there's, you know, highly skilled craft laborers there. Uh, we're, we're building wind turbines. We're installing solar panels. Um, there's a lot of craft labor that's out there. And, and so there's some deficiency in, in the amount of skilled labor for substations. So that plays very well into uh, our factory built substation offering. Um, how we approach that uh, from an innovative standpoint, uh, doing more in the factory and less in the field, getting those assets online a lot faster, uh, being able to, you know, to backfeed and doing the testing and commission um, a lot faster than what we used to. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're getting your investors to return a lot faster. And so that's what's going to keep pumping those projects forward. Um, if we get them online quicker, uh, the investors are going to continue to invest in that market. Um, and then uh, we, we just think that it's, it's going to be in a position to help us grow um, as, as we're investing in our operations to do uh, more uh, projects, you know, year over year, um, as, as we've seen, um, you know, a, a lot of growth just in the, in the last five years um, that we've been doing our factory built substations. Yeah, I, w- I would have to, to say one of the things I'm most excited about in the industry is the emerging technology. And so. You know, there's a lot of things that are new out there. So when you look at uh, battery energy storage systems, um, you know, renewable energy coming on, uh, distributed energy resources and microgrid, there's all this emerging tech um, and and the the performance curves on a lot of these new technologies are exponentially increasing. The cost curves on these new technologies are exponentially decreasing. And so it changes the economics at really a high, a high frequency of what, what's possible and what makes sense and what we can do as an industry. And I think when you have that much emerging technology and changing, improving economics, and you have um, a, a lot of people in the utility industry who are really excited about the fact that, you know, we were, you know, it was very much the same for a hundred years, but now we got to rethink everything. Just um, when you look at what's happening in the electric, Electric effect, electrification of vehicles um, and other industries. Just um, it's really exciting times, uh, really unprecedented. And, and uh, you, you can look at that as, oh, how are we ever going to keep up? Or, or, you know, personally, I'm, I'm very optimistic that that this industry is going to meet that challenge head on. And there's some really um, awesome developments and designs and ideas that are that are going to come out of this. And it, it may take a while for us to figure it out, with, you know, fairly complex regulatory landscape. Um, you know, but if we keep focusing on, on the problems and we keep, um, you know, you got, you have a lot of smart, really smart people in the industry working on solving them. I think we're going to end up with, uh, the, the re- reliable and robust and modernized grid, um, that the consumer is demanding. Excellent. Well, th- thank you. Uh, thank you for that insight, Brad. And, um, thank you both for being on, uh, Brad and John, we really appreciated having you on here today. Thank you, Dylan and Joyce. It was a pleasure and it was good talking to you guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thanks, Dylan. Pre- appreciate all the support. Joyce, thanks. We enjoyed it. Yeah, great discussion, guys. Looking forward to the next. Yeah, th- thank you both very much. And uh, 
to our audience, you can find our research in media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at jedooley, at zprime underscore research. We also just announced uh, dates for City of the Future 2021 virtual conference. Uh, you can find information for that at cityofthefuture.io. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.